To the bloody pit. I am Rod Barnett, and with me are John Hudson. Yay! Wait, wait should I applaud for myself? Is that appropriate? <laughs> no, you should just let people know what you sound like. Well, they'll find out soon, <laughs> soon enough. enough. At this and, point, they should know. <laughs> yes, yes, they, they, yes, and they should dread it, really. Probably. The, the I feel same, for the anybody. Same, that, the same way I dread it. Well, I'm glad that you dread it. I like to strike fear in your heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Also, the, the other person laughing at my misfortune and, and, and uncomfortable nature is Troy Gwynn. Boo. Boo. <laughs> Mr. Gwynn brings, brings a level of inner peace to our to our function simply by wearing a shirt that says inner peace. Mm-hmm. This is actually a friend of mine's band. Uh, uh, she I went to high school with her. She lives up in Maine now, but this was a metal band that she was in for a while. She was a singer for this band called Inner Peace. Uh-huh. And, uh yeah, she had an amazing way of sounding like. I mean, if you listen to them, you you would you would think that it was a man singing because she did the whole death metal death metal roar yeah. thing. You know, you would never know. And she's got an incredible. Now she's doing like folk and rock music, and she's got an amazing voice, a great singer. You know, but but if you heard that, you just think like it was your typical big gargantuan male you know male singer with a big <laughs> head bang hair. But yeah, so yeah, they were a fun band though. They had some pretty good stuff. All right. Cool, cool. I had no idea. I just assumed you were attempting to calm us all down. <laughs> and that reminded me, Troy, of a bit of trivia I was going to tell you about, and this is as inappropriate a time as I can think of to <laughs> tell you. I was listening to a um, podcast the other day, and they mentioned, and I don't have his name in front of me, but you know the fellow who was the voice of Tony the Tiger, who also mm-hmm. sang You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch? Yeah. You know what other thing he sang that you and I both quote all the time? What? No dogs, dogs allowed. allowed. I, you know, I, we should have thought. I never made that connection. It's kind of now. It's kind of obvious. It's like, oh, it's obviously the same guy, but I never would have thought same that. Same here. When I heard it, it was like, wow, Snoopy awesome. come home, right? Yeah. You know, no dogs allowed. Yeah, that's right. Oh, this trip down a, memory lane brought to you by yeah. aging dumbasses. <laughs> Hey, we've had another hard, long year, and, you know, forgive us if we're a little, uh, you know, if we're, 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 we're just kind of coasting in the coast mode right now. So. Yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just trying to make it through, folks. Yeah. Trust us all. Uh, this is our annual gathering of these three lunatics, mm-hmm. also known as our Holiday Horrors episode. Uh, this year, Mr. Hudson got to choose. And that's always a scary thing, but... But, but this time out... Right I think time. he did all right, yeah. 
You didn't fuck up. <laughs> I, just want to, I just want you to know that's the best praise I can give you because in general, fuck up is your like C minus level. You've like ascended to A plus on this one. Yeah, so. If I wanted this kind of abuse, I'd have stayed home with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and your deaf dog. <laughs> Tonight, we're talking about a movie that has many titles, mainly because it's a damn French movie. <clears throat> Those Frenchies. What are we supposed to say and do about these people? I don't understand. That was, what, what have they ever given us besides a, well, a statue? Yeah. A st- this movie. They gave us this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm good with that. Mm. But that really doesn't make up for, uh, I don't know, mm. helping us win the Revolutionary War? <laughs> Keep yeah. it, kicking how, kicking how the Brits they? to the curb? <laughs> what, are they, what are they? Damn it. Damn it, I'm enough of an Anglophile. They may really be regretting that by this point. (laughs) (laughs) You could be right there. Well, the name of the film, well, it's known by many titles. Deadly Games, Dial Code Santa Claus, Game Over, Hide and Freak, or Deadly Games. I think that I like the title Dial Dial Code Santa Claus best. Because I think that uh, it, the fact that it's actually on a sign, it's like built into part of how the story is told. It kind of sets things in place at the beginning. I think that's kind of the Deadly Games is just so generic. Yeah, but did you did you, did you y'all watch the English trailer on the on the Blu-ray? Uh, no, I don't. At the very end of it, I don't think I did. Well, it's on the very end of it. It's got a title that isn't listed on the IMDb, but at the end of it, the title is. Title that says "Wanted Mr. Xmas," and I'm like, "That's a terrible title." But that's a little title. It's like "Wanted Mr. Xmas," you know. I'm just like, Wait, what? that is bizarre <laughs> as hell. If somebody makes a movie with that title, we're covering it. Yeah, that's true though. <laughs> that is well, true. The, the the original French title is "3615 Code Pierre Noel," which mm-hmm. is "3615 Code Father Christmas" or yeah. you know Santa Claus, whatever variation on that you want you want to go with. Because that is the the mini tail number that you know you can dial to get to you know to to get to the the very nascent early version of an internet that they had in uh, the late eighties there in France. Yeah, the Minitel. Mini, yep, the Minitel, which is we, obviously we had, a mini telephone, but I guess yeah, is what. Yeah. That, but I had never I had no idea about this thing until this until movie. Until this film, I didn't know it either. That. Yeah. That, that was another that was sort of like the no dogs allowed moment. Like, <laughs> yeah. How did I not know about this? Yeah, I've never yeah, heard of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the reason we don't know about it is it didn't last long because the internet came along and everybody oh. was like, "Well, this is better than that." Yeah. That's this is an eight. This is an eight-bit graphics. <laughs> What's well, great that the interview with the director where he's talking about the talking about the Minitel as being a precursor to the internet. And he says, uh, he says France invents a lot of things that it doesn't know what to do with, like cinema. <laughs> 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 and, and, and first of all, he's he's a he's right. Yeah. <laughs> and B, my God, was that I, I did not think I was going to watch a ninety-minute interview with this guy. Oh, it's right fantastic. after watching right after watching the yeah. film. As a matter of fact, Beth can attest. I show her the film. This is my mm-hmm. second time watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of it, when it's over, I, I scroll through the extras and I'm like, oh, I would, I would, I would, an interview with the, the writer-director, that'd be great. And then I look at how long it is and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm not, I'm not watching that. And I just kicked it on. I was like, I'll watch the first few minutes. Beth and I both sat and watched the yeah. whole oh, I know. thing. Oh, it flashed by. Yeah, yeah I know. it's it just great. Inter- yeah, it gets yeah, it's just really a great, good. great talk. And, and yeah, and then one with his son is good, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the, yeah. The, the, you yeah. know, the, where his son <clears throat> talks about that. But, uh, yeah. Fun. It, well, it, first of all, I think we can all... 
<laughs> there's no, there's, we're not going to hide the ball here. I think we all like this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I had, I mean, I, it, I, it had totally flown under my radar. I had, I'd never heard of this film. At I all had never heard of it until it came out on Blu-ray. That's really? that's the first time I'd heard this film's name. What about you, Hud? Same, you, same. Right? I'd never heard of it, and that's one of the things that I love about Vinegar Syndrome is mm-hmm. I've, I've mentioned, I think before, it's almost like Vinegar Syndrome Russian Roulette, where yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. don't know necessarily what you're going to get. Yeah. You know that they're going to do a great job with whatever yes. they want. Yeah, this yeah. is true. This is true. But um, sometimes I've discovered a lot of like fun little gems. I've discovered some turds them. too. Oh, there's been a few, but even those, I they're fun. You know what? They, I, well, I don't know. I recently watched uh, a scream in the streets. I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah, you, you might you might want to skip it. It's yeah. it's pretty bad. I'll get to it eventually, I'm sure. But this this was just like one of those things where they'll put this kind of care mm. into a movie that. And I guess well, maybe a week, and I think we're entitled to sound elitist. The three of us know a lot about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And for I none of us to have yeah. ever heard of this movie means it's pretty low under the radar. Yeah, I mean, yeah. An, an 80s, you know, late 80s Christmas-themed horror movie is not something that normally slips by us yeah. <laughs> much. But, uh, so, this is true. But so this when they release this, like, yeah. it sounds interesting. And it was just like, wow, how have I never heard of this? I know. Yeah. yeah. So, well, not only that, it, it makes me kind of kind of wonder about the fact that this came out in 89, it was shot in 88, came out in 89, and then kind of came out in different countries over the next two years, which is something that the director still, you know, is still, uh, you know, un- unhappy about because it's like, you know, by the time hit, by the time some countries were seeing this movie, Home Alone had come out in 1990, mm-hmm. which plays a whole lot like somebody saw this movie and went, what if we made it family friendly and, and really yeah. kind of dumb as shit? See, if yeah. I saw this movie without knowing the year it came out, I would have immediately said what you just said right there. said like, oh, this had to be an influence on, you know, somehow John Hughes saw this film yeah. and made, you know. But the time frame, the is, time frame that's is an weird. awfully quick time to see yeah. a movie, get your version written, get a movie filmed in a year's time. That's pretty quick turnaround yeah. to... And to John Hughes was pretty busy at that point, too. I don't mm. know if he was oh, he's seeking cracking out, out film after film. After I don't film, know if he was yeah. really seeking out Obscure it's French best say, It's not like this film played hundreds of theaters <laughs> yeah. in America, too. So like I think it's just a coincidence. I think so, too. What do you think, Rod? I kind of feel like this I, is... I gotta admit that there's there are few too many things in this movie that... It's not just the setup. Mm-hmm. It's also the the isolation. It's also the the mother striving so hard to get you know to get mm-hmm. back. Only mm-hmm. in this film, it's deadly serious. And mm-hmm. in Home Alone, it's played, of course, constantly for laughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> granted, I mean, you know, you... It, Home Alone's a damn cartoon. And oh, sure, I, it's it's like you said, family friendly. This film yeah. is not family friendly, and yeah, uh, you know, th- th- this 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 is a a a crowd pleasing movie. But I would never call it. I would never. I would never call it. You know, something to take the kiddies to see. Yeah, right. No, but it is. I've never been a fan of Home Alone. In case mm. my tone of my tone yeah. of voice yeah. has 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 left any doubt, I I think it's. I've never been able to sit through it from beginning to end. Mm without my entire body twitching and the desire to just slap everybody involved because it it never it never feels like there are any stakes whatsoever and mm-hmm. I, I hate precocious children who I don't think have earned mm-hmm. being as smug as they are mm-hmm. and therefore uh, the Macaulay Culkin thing just does not work mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. whereas the opposite is true of the character in this movie where yeah. I, I like yeah. this kid yeah so I got to wondering if this is this has to be early among films that explored the dangers of chat rooms and things, you know, because I'm thinking yeah. of I'm thinking of like war, you know, war games, which was quite a few years before this, but that was still the case of a boy hacking, you know, who gets connected to a military, you know, 
that's just com- that, that's computer hacking as opposed to yeah that's that's a that's a stack of Blu-rays falling over. <laughs> yes, yes, that noise. <laughs> yes, we, we we all almost lost our lives. This huge tower of Blu-rays come down. You know, the thing is, I'm sure most of most the, of our listeners are going to oh yeah, yeah, somebody's Blu-rays just fell over. <laughs> you recognize that sound, don't you? <laughs> They found themselves diving across the room, but oh no! <laughs> but uh, as you were saying, yes, yeah. So, so yeah. So even that. So in this, this, this has to be one of the earliest films to actually explore that possibility of you know people connecting, you know, on, on a on a an, an internet type of network like that, and 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 connecting with the wrong person. You know, that's that's. Yeah, I bet you're right. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that. I bet you're right. That's true. I remember there was a there was a late eighties film of some sort that involved um, like an early form of online dating mm, okay. that but I cannot remember the name of it to, say, to save my life but I remember there was a lot of visual fetish, fetishization of of the personal computer itself uh, but uh, the upshot of it was very much that you know the whole connecting with someone uh, o- online mm-hmm. before meeting them in person kind of thing mm-hmm. Oh, something like computer dreams or something like that, but yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. The the da- the inherent dangers in this. I mean, anybody looking to make a, anybody looking to make a horror film, anything that puts you in the position of uh, interacting with the the unknown or are you thinking about electric dreams? The maybe that's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. See, we know so many movies. <laughs> <laughs> if one of us can't remember the title of it, the other will. <laughs> Lord, uh, we're, we're such studs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's exactly exactly how I would phrase this. So all of us have just recently, the past year, come to this film, mm-hmm. and like you say, this is it, it is a bit of a shock to me that none of us had ever heard of this, considering how much we, how many, yeah. how many years have we spent digging into the to the trenches of just whatever weird ass freaking film, especially from Europe, that we can run across. But I have to say, once I discovered this this director, I decided to look him up, and uh, I know he and his son, he and his family moved to Canada uh, sometime in the nineties, mm-hmm. and it was because uh, I mean, it, like currently his son works for a special effects company up yeah. there that does uh, does effects work. And um, it's a pretty big films as far as yeah. being, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, I think he's kind of like oversees. He's like a producer of the special effects. You know, he doesn't like do them himself. He oversees the teams. Right. Oh, and we should we should specify, by the way, that the, the lead actor in this film is the director's son. Yeah. Uh, and that's a that's a really interesting story to begin with as well, where, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 he, he didn't go on to, to have an acting career, basically, because I guess he didn't want one. But now he's still in the film industry, mm-hmm. and kind of following in a weird way down the same path as his father. But you know, on the, you know, he works on the technical side. Uh, the director Rene Manzor, Rene Manzor, he had a long career in the, especially in the ninety, well, all mm-hmm. the way up to today, really. But he was responsible for a lot of the young Indiana Jones yeah, yeah. movies and television episodes in the nineties, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. So he came over here, and it, I mean, his visual sense and his ability to to craft this kind of large scale stuff mm. on a small budget that's exactly why he was being hired for stuff like that obviously because I don't know about you but the first time I saw this I let's let's be clear <laughs> going into this cold you have no idea whether or not this movie is going to you know be something that you kind of have to look at with a kind of tweaked eye like oh yeah okay well I see what they're doing there that's kind of neat mm-hmm. or if there's going to be some actual success here as far as Real cinema is concerned, and I got to say, this movie succeeds. It's beautifully mm. photographed. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. 
the, the even when you can tell that they're moving from a, a, a real shot of a of an actual location right. into into miniatures, the miniatures are so beautiful and intricate and well yeah. designed that I just I, I appreciate the old school cinematic beauty of what yeah. they're doing the, the entire time. Yeah. And it's like and don't get me wrong, all the interiors are, are they're they're obviously wonderful as well. Very much fashioned on this large castle-like French chateau yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. But the the exteriors that aren't really exteriors, of course, they shot the entire thing in the soundstage. Everything is gorgeous. The the, the lighting, everything, it's absolutely mm-hmm. astonishing. And it was really weird to hear in that interview how how it took like two or three days for him to like find a way to get the people responsible for lighting mm-hmm. the movie to get it to look the way he wanted it to look. Yeah. yeah. But it's just it's such a gorgeous movie. And I was that's one of the things that really stunned me about it is on first time viewing last year, I thought like 15, 20 minutes in. Even if the movie's not even if I don't like the movie, I like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. So that was a that was a nice thing to just walk into and immediately within the first ten minutes realize Oh, this is just a pretty film, and I don't know why I didn't. Ex- I don't know why I didn't expect that because I don't. I, yeah, I do. I don't. I don't know this filmmaker. I don't know this movie, so I have no idea what it's going to look or feel like. And I picked it, so you automatically say this is going <laughs> okay. to be great. I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, there's that. Yeah, but I watched it actually before uh, before you had picked it because mm-hmm. I picked it up whenever that. I guess it yeah. was was it Black Friday? Was it one of those Black Friday things from last year, or was it earlier? I- it may have been too new then for it to I be on sale. I, I don't know. I just know that I saw it um, last Christmas season. And I know you jumped on it for the slipcover because you <laughs> because you love those guys. Oh, we God. Okay, quick, quick sideline. <laughs> there are people who will just buy a slipcover? Are they insane? I don't know. Well, I bought the Dolomite box from the Vinegar Center. Yeah, but you have the discs to go in it. Oh, you're talking about people buying covers without slip necessarily cover? having Yes, the... they're just buying the slipcover, not the blue. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like they have the Blu-ray, but it's like, I didn't get the slipcover. I'll buy the slipcover now. Is it only $15? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> well, well I, I bought a few of those when I have had the movie already, but now to, to buy just a slipcover, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. But, it's like, what, what? but there's been a few of those. Like a couple couple years ago, they did one for the movie Slaughterhouse that was like... What? Yeah. Vinegar Syndrome. Like it was like a two-piece thing that opened up like like uh, steel slaughterhouse doors <laughs> that's cool <laughs> come on i was i was reading a great article recently about a guy who back in the vhs days would go into a vhs store and he he was dubbing he'd gotten into the whole like we all did at one point where you, you suddenly discovered what you can do with two vcrs mm-hmm. you know and started dubbing you know renting films and oh, dubbing yeah. them and making all this so after he'd dub a film, as he would, he would go into the video store and and he would steal the because it was one of the video stores where they kept the tapes behind the counter, but they would just put the, the 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 cover out there, you know. Yeah. And so he'd take them because you can flatten those things, and so he would just flatten them and stick them down his pants or in his shirt or whatever, and go home and made his own, you know, and and, and put color, them on what his color on copy his, them. It, well, he he just put them on his his you know take his blank his dub tapes and put them oh, in there. Oh. So he'd have his and he had shelves where he had his own row of you know. And then he, you know, finally the guilt finally hit him of what he was doing, you know, but he kind of grew up a little bit, kind of grew up a little bit, realized kind of what he did was kind of shitty, you know, you know, just, you know, after he, so he, you know, taken all these nice photos of what he had done with his own VH, impressive VHS, because this was again in the days before you could hardly even buy any VHS. Oh, yeah. So this was actually kind of something that he did that 
that he, he, he was kind of proud of but kind of ashamed of, too. So he, he took the pictures of all that and preserved it. And then one night he, he took all the covers and flattened them back down and got the, all of them and, and, and went in the middle of the night to the video store and put them all back through the slot. And, the, you know, <laughs> and, you know and, uh, and I think he, he put a note, he put like a note in there that said, you know, said something like, you know, I apologize for taking these, you know, and returning them to you. And he said he went in the video store a while later and, and they, they had a, like something of one of the bulletin boards. They just had a sign that said something like, you know, something like "Thank you, VHS cover Phantom" or something for returning you know, something like that for returning. <laughs> I thought that's an awesome story. <laughs> <It's good. laughs> I, I got, I got to admit that's 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 a pretty good one. And yeah. I have to say, uh, I think we've all felt that. I think we've all felt that desire for the for the forbidden fruit. Oh yeah, yeah. But, but they're not really. They're not yeah. really. They don't need it. Yeah, right? yeah. They don't <laughs> need on, it. They're not. They're not written the box. Yeah. I mean, I they're not, this is a, this is, come on, they're not gonna. They're not even. They're not gonna notice. They'll never notice that there's no one bringing anything up to the desk anymore to rent this film that's now gathering dust forever. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh, the strange things we do for love mm-hmm. or movies. Yeah. yeah, they're the same thing. Right. It doesn't matter. Anyway, now you look down on me even more since you know I've bought slip covers to go on. Oh yeah, movies. yeah. I, it's like each each. Uh, six months or so, I find a new reason to look down on you. It's amazing. <laughs> well, when, when I show you that slaughterhouse slipcover, you'll say, "Man, I wish I'd bought that." <laughs> no, you are no, one no, cool no, man. No, I won't. No, I, won't. <laughs> I, will not, I will not feel that way. Okay, come uh, on, it's Buddy Bacon. You got to have a slipcover to go with that. What? Slaughterhouse. The main character in Slaughterhouse, Buddy Bacon. I don't. I. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> I'm going to find a Christmas tie-in with that. (laughs) God save us all. (laughs) Toi, t'es pas le vrai Père Noël. Mais qu'est-ce que vous faites? Mais vous êtes fous ou quoi? Okay, 1989, Deadly Games, a.k.a. Uh, Dial Code Santa Claus, Game Over, Hide and Freak, or 3615 Code Pierre Noel. This is a fun film, and we will just start off by saying that the main character's name is Thomas Differmont. He's a child prodigy obsessed with tinkering with uh, every kind of toy or doodad or computer or anything he can get his hands on. And he also is obsessed with action movies of the 1980s, which ain't a real shock, (laughs) considering that the 1980s is when the action film kind of turned into a giant cartoon. Yeah. And uh, not not to be lost is the obvious thing that he, uh, at the beginning of the movie, is playing an an extended version of uh, Rambo in his house. Where his prey and adversary appears to be his dog. His dog. That poor little dog. I oh, know. And the oh, and I got it. We got to say too that uh, Thomas here has uh, has one of the most amazing mullets in the history of. Yes, of oh, I know. He has a mullet that would rival for all you wrestling fans. He out mullets Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express. And <laughs> that is not easy to do. I was going to say it was right up there with Von Doms from uh, was it Hard Target? Hard Target. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's very true. Well, uh, uh, Thomas lives in a secluded and uh, fairly high-tech mansion. It's kind of a freaking castle or chateau with his uh, widowed mother, Julie, and his diabetic and partially blind grandfather and his pet dog, Jr., who he uh, chases around the house occasionally. And one thing that I would love, and maybe you can put a drop, a sound drop of this, there's a little training montage early on in the film 
where Thomas is like putting on his he's oh, like lifting weights. Yeah. But there's a song that plays. Uh-huh. It's sort of a French sort of version of Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> but, That's right. But it's got Fentor and Le Chantor. So I can't remember. I don't know what it is, but I'd like to know the English lyrics to that because <laughs> I remember thinking that I probably ought to look those lyrics up, and then I completely forgot about it because, of course, then the movie continues. That little song kind of rocked. <laughs> I also wondered too: is this is this film? Because I thought that, you know, obviously it's showing his obsession with the, you know, with the action films, the Rambo and that sort of thing there. But I do feel like there's there is some satire in this film on '80s style. Oh, yeah. Filmmaking, which is pretty amazing to still be really in the 80s, at the tail mm-hmm. end of the 80s, and already there couldn't have been that many films that were already that that self-aware, I think, that were already starting to make that much fun well, of. Well, I would, I would argue that by 89, they were shooting this in 88, by then, honestly, the more, the more savvy filmmakers involved in making mm-hmm. some of those movies had already kind of teetered into mm-hmm. self-parody a little bit mm-hmm. because... Anybody who ever has ever seen Commando knows that they knew what they were doing when they were they were making some of those ridiculous jokes within the body of that yeah. film. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they they didn't let Schwarzenegger go all the way through with what he and director Mark Lester wanted to do, which is like cut a guy's arm off and then smack him in the face with it. But it's pretty close. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, this movie's just flat out. You're right. There's there's a there's a there's an obvious affection for the genre yeah, and for yeah. those movies in particular, mm-hmm. but they're also really kind of poking a little bit of fun at it. Of course, I'm, I'm the one who, while all that was going on, was kind of appalled when the Rambo Saturday morning cartoon popped into existence. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, that's yeah. those are R-rated movies. Why are we turning this into a... How did we... Where did we get this? And then somebody pointed out, didn't they make a RoboCop cartoon? Yeah, yeah, right, man. That's And yeah. a Toxic Avenger cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But and at, at least, that point, we'd already had Freddy Krueger pajamas for the kitties. Yeah, so. that's... Yeah. <laughs> this is true. You can keep this Freddy close to you, kids. Yeah, right. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> if there's ever been a more inappropriate toy for children, it's anything with Freddy Krueger on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we continue to just skip right on past the fact that he was a child molester slash murderer yeah I, well, I love the I love where Thomas in this in this film where you know he had a, has to at one point kind of bandage or his own wound and they, that's a total the way they film that is a total homage to first blood you know yeah, to, to yeah. Stallone <laughs> Stallone doing that <laughs> and it, you know and it, by that time in the movie things are deadly serious yeah, yeah. but they're still be they're, they're able to to play that that mm. on the edge where you're mm. you can kind of be amused by the fact that it's a kid doing this yeah but it's still like, oh, yeah, that's a real, you know, he's, yeah, he's, right. he's actually been hurt. So, yeah. yeah. Well, on Christmas Eve, Thomas uses the Minitel, which we've already cool. discussed, to try and communicate with Santa Claus and unknowingly makes contact with a local derelict who is using a public Minitel terminal. Now, it, was he a real, was he really a derelict? Because that's one thing that struck me. The, the movie's never clear he about is, Because he's very, he, he's like Paul McCartney's grandfather. He's very clean. Yeah. <laughs> But he doesn't look like a homeless person. No, he doesn't. He's clean. His clothes are clean. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, he's not all there, obviously. No, no there's something, so there's something up. This is one thing that this movie makes this movie different from a lot of the ones that we cover or see in this. Is, is Usually you get some sort of backstory on your Santa Claus killer. We don't get any on this. In None. this case, he's almost more like the... Uh, the, the the Santa Claus in the all through the house you know short short that we did a you know episode on you know the tales from the crypt yeah, all through yeah, the house yeah. so at least at least that guy you know escaped from an asylum but mm-hmm. you still other than that 
don't even this guy is almost that same kind of mystery like who is this person you know what's his yeah we don't know anything about him yeah yeah other than the fact that he's he clearly likes being around kids Mm -hmm. and it's not luckily the movie does manage to get across that it's not some perverse sexual thing Mm -hmm. uh even as the movie goes on and you're like oh this is when we're going to find out where it has some kind of darker edge to Mm -hmm. it as far as that's concerned and then it it really does not Mm. but we don't know why he is as disturbed or as mentally underdeveloped as he seems to be we're we're just not given that information because it's just not pertinent to the story being told because one thing that saves Thomas's life a couple of times during the course of the film is the fact that this guy has a childlike side to him that really is kind of just wants to he Whatever else he kills, he wants to keep Thomas alive to continue playing some sort of game Mm -hmm. that he wants to because he you know and the first time we see him he's trying to get the he's trying to play with the kids on the street and get yeah. involved with their game and they're just like there's this weird old man let's get out of here you know and so he's obviously his apartment that hasn't grown you know that's meant, uh, stunted emotionally you know yeah. that he's still a child in a lot of ways and it is, it is weird we don't ever get like uh, any information about him you know just coming out of prison or right. just you know just having been released from you know like a halfway house or anything any, we, we get nothing we get no. absolutely zero and but he looks He's well groomed. Mm-hmm. His clothes are clean, and, and he's got that. You know, everything. He does not look. I would call him a derelict. You're right. Yeah, there's nothing sinister about him. You know, at first, anyway, just no. like a regular guy. Well, this slightly deranged man claims to be Santa and attempts to get Thomas to divulge his address. Before their connection is severed, the the vagrant, and I, I think vagrant is probably a safe thing to go with there because we don't we see that he clearly does not have a lot of money learns that Thomas's mother manages a nearby uh, department store, uh, Printemps. That is right. interesting. Because... You spoke French. <laughs> <laughs> I should kiss his arm. <laughs> <laughs> keep, your, keep your lips away from mine, you dog, you. <laughs> uh, that's another neat, just, just as an aside, a neat visual, tw- visual trick that the director uses in this film because so much of the movie takes place on sets. Including everything at the house mm-hmm. and all of the exteriors out, you know, right outside the house as well. All of that's on sets. All of it's artificial. But one of the really incredibly smart things that he does is they film. Uh, they 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 actually take the cameras and they go to this department store mm-hmm. during a holiday season where there's a lot of people around out out on the street in front of it and also inside. Mm-hmm. Where, so that when you're you know you're merging all this stuff together, it really gives you a sense of this reality that all that. All the artificial stuff, if they do it well enough, it just it just feels like a continuation of the reality that was obviously in front of you. Because when the camera swings around and you're looking down that real real French street, you're like, okay, well this is this is not a set. I mean, yeah. that's, that's real. Those are cars and those are people. That's a lot of people. So, and I just think it's cool because the uh, the it's it's another one of those smart things that a director will do to open up the look of a film mm. to give you an idea that this is a real place. And so when he starts fooling you with miniatures and other things later on, it's easier to, to keep that reality flowing. It's 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 good stuff, and it's it's one of those things where uh, we before we were recording, folks, we were talking about uh, good filmmakers versus bad filmmakers, and we won't use any names. But good filmmakers have enough of a visual sense to be able to fool your eye by showing you something utterly believable and real that then leads you to accept something later on that you might have not necessarily accepted. If not, it's, it's sleight of hand. It's visual sleight of hand to kind of lead you into a sense of watching reality when later on, if he can just bridge that gap well enough, it still feels real. And this movie does that 
does that really well because the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie, we're in real places. We're mm-hmm. in real places that are undeniably real places. And then later on, when we spend, I don't know, over an hour of the movie on big sets, mm-hmm. it doesn't really occur to you that that's, that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Even though anybody at a certain point would realize, oh, I can't see their breath and they're outside. <laughs> Okay, okay, so we're on a set. <laughs> Nobody's freezing their balls off out of this fake snow, right? Because it's got to be fake snow, right? Well, while Thomas sets up a security system inside the house to record or capture at least... He's, he's, he's going to get pictures of Santa or he's going to mm-hmm. capture the bastard. That's his whole plan. He's going to find a way to prove to his disbelieving schoolmates mm-hmm. that Santa Claus exists. Mm-hmm. But by this time, the... Uh, the, the vagabond gets a job as a Santa at the department store run by his mom, but is fired from it within just a couple of hours after Julie witnesses, witnesses him slap a child who had accused him of not being the real Santa. And that is a great sequence, too. Yeah, yes. Yeah. The acting from yeah. um, Patrick Florsheim, who plays our Santa, yeah. it's all, at that scene, is Almost all silent. I think he yeah. asked the little girl's name, and that's it. Yes, yes. But just through facial expressions, is fantastic because you can yeah. tell how much he's truly loving being Santa. And yeah. after that scene, after that brief interaction with the kid, he doesn't have a he does not have but one more line of dialogue. Right. The rest of the movie, it's all told with his facial expressions. Yeah. I think there's may there's maybe more than one. Well, but there's I, not much. I can only remember the one where uh, the the first moment where you are convinced that oh hell he's about to kill this kid, and, and that look that that change comes over his face and he goes and he communicates. I can't remember what he says, but he he, he goes now you chase me. Yeah, well, there's one more bit where Thomas is going out the window. Oh, and really? He says something like you'll fall, Thomas. Be does he? Oh, okay, okay. Maybe but, so, but there's maybe not so. a lot. He, he doesn't yeah, have any. You may be right. There's not right, a lot right. of dialogue. It's no, almost no, no. all silent. But his facial expressions when after he slaps a little girl and it's just beautiful acting from this yeah, guy. It's mm-hmm. it's he's an exceptional actor. And that interview with the director where uh, he was he was it was quite a coup for him to be able to cast this guy. But apparently he he's he was really incredibly famous for his great voice. Yeah, and he, he he was a he was an incredible he was an incredibly well known voiceover actor mm-hmm. who did the dubbing for uh, a lot of very specific actors when they would dub they would do the French versions, uh, and his so his voice was very well known and he really he, he cast him in a role intentionally where he would all have almost no dialogue whatsoever. Because he's just a really good actor, and he wanted he wanted to use him for that ability. Well, because he saw him doing the dubbing, the actor spoke English as well. Yeah. So he saw him dubbing a French film into English, and he saw him as in the studio. He performed as he did the dialogue. Right. And so he saw how he physically did it, and brilliant casting. Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome's Blu-ray is dedicated to him because he mm-hmm. died just as the just when they were putting it together. There, he just yeah, so he died very recently. Yeah, real shame. I would love to have been able to see an interview with him, mm-hmm. even, yeah. even if he was even if he was you know up in years and mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily feel up to it. Just a just anything brief would have been really nice, just to get a just yeah. to get a touch with uh, so that he would so that at least he he would know. Hey, your your work this your work yeah. in this film is 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 going to be seen mm-hmm. again now. So. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Well, the vagrant subsequently steals a Santa costume from the the, the department store, uh, paints his hair and beard white because I think that in, in what I, what I love is this is visually told because it seems that. The fact that he was wearing a fake beard and the, the girl pulled it off and said he wasn't the real Santa. Yeah. He he's he's like, well, if I just it's almost as if the wheels are turning in his brain. I'll just do you know I'll just paint my hair white, mm-hmm. paint my beard white, and then I will be the real mm-hmm. Santa. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was neat that he found the uh, kid's address. He's down in the personnel yeah. department to turn in his. Santa costume and get paid for the 20 minutes I guess he was on the yeah. job. <laughs> Before he slapped the job. And he overhears the address yeah. because they're going to deliver toys to the boss's mom. Mm-hmm. And as he's going out... Well, um, the, boss, he, the boss's kid. Or the, or the boss's... No, the boss's mom is <laughs> his grandmother. <laughs> that would be weird. The boss's kid. But then um, as he's down at the loading docks to load up the toys, the shipping clerk is played by the director. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which I only knew after, after seeing the interview with him. Yeah. Yeah. Just pretty cool because like, it was. I think there's his other film. He had a cameo in as well. It's like, well, we didn't have a guy who, the guy didn't show up. The so guy I didn't show up. So like, well, <laughs> I'll do it. We got to shoot something here. <laughs> well, uh, he ends up after after uh, dressing up in the Santa costume and, and painting himself, painting his hair white. He hitches a ride to uh, Julian Thomas's home in the back of a delivery vehicle. <laughs> the the uh, which is taking the uh, the Christmas toys out to the chateau there for young thomas this is all on christmas eve of course well uh of course when they get there this is when uh the movie takes its turn and shows you at least the first of its rather deadly cards because once they get there he kills the driver mm-hmm. and then uh goes into the uh the uh, the uh, servant's house that's mm-hmm. outer line from the chateau there and uh we don't see what happens there but we're pretty we're pretty sure before we're shown later in the movie he prop that means he probably had to kill the uh, the caretakers as well the people who were responsible for yeah. taking care of the kid and making you know the grandfather's medical needs and stuff like that and and that's this is one of the few things where I think the film is has a misstep here or or leave, or should have or had needed to give itself a couple more minutes to the caretakers I think there should have been something to set them up to establish them a little. Better. Just a little bit better. Yeah. You know, it could have been just one scene, but just something to cause honestly when he goes I I was kind of disoriented as to who he was, who they when they even opened the door, you know, like you know, to where exactly he was or who these people were. Well the were. information about them is, is primarily given in dialogue. Exactly. Yeah. And I just yeah. felt like there needed to be just to make it really make it a little more impactful too, you know, the deaths. I thought it could have just used maybe one scene with them interacting with Thomas or with Thomas's yeah. mom, you know, it'd been a simple thing, but that's I think that's one point. part where it's like, okay, that's a little that could have been done a little better. Because but, the only yeah. real setup we got was where they said deliver the toys yes. to the servant's house right. and not the main house. Right, right. But then they open the door and when they get yeah. like five seconds of screen time and they're going, You're right. If they mm-hmm. we'd seen them interacting with Thomas a little bit more, we'd have cared a little bit more about Yeah, them. always all we see is uh one of them uh serving them serving them food yeah. early and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Well, uh this man uh uh, after he, he murders the the, I guess the, they're the, the servants, the kind of the groundskeeper and the chef. Mm-hmm. He then breaks into the mansion through the chimney, and uh, this is this is of course exactly what Thomas has been waiting for yeah, because it's like, yeah. well, Santa's going to come down the chimney, of course. And what a beautiful sequence that is! Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Yes. I mean, and this is where I'm, we need we 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 need to note that this is one of those moments in uh, cinema where. We as the audience have now been shown this guy's murderous nature. Yeah. yeah. We know this is how he's getting into the house. 
Mm-hmm. We know that the kid is determined to keep himself awake mm-hmm. and get proof of Santa's existence and maybe trap him like he traps the dog <laughs> yeah. in that, yeah. in that, in that, in that uh, net, netted up pit uh-huh. that, he, that he's built in one of the hallways <laughs> of the house. But it plays beautifully as the tension builds and builds and builds as mm-hmm. he comes as he comes down the chimney and then this whole like rocket ship ride of mm-hmm. of peaks and valleys of, of chases and and uh, danger kind of escalates from here. Um, of course, the movie wants to make sure that it that we as an as as an audience we know damn good well we're not playing around here because once he gets down the chimney, of course the dog Jr. senses this is not right and is barking at him, and uh, the dog uh, gets killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the death of the dog. I mean, I hate to say it, but we're we're all human beings here, and it's one of those moments. You can kill human beings all day long, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you harm you harm an animal, mm-hmm. and suddenly uh, an entire audience will turn on you in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And it's that moment where the dog gets killed, where mm-hmm. all the, the gloves are completely off. And as a filmmaker, you you know, okay, point. This is our hinge point. This is our point of no return. If we don't pull, if we don't pull anything off after this, it's it, it's just we we've built everything mm-hmm. on that. We've got to make this. The hinge point, yeah, and it's just well, ooh, it's rough. Y'all know my, y'all know my my uh, pet peeve quote or pun intended. You know the uh, the uh, the the uh, you know the rant I go on about pets being you know the red shirts of horror or horror movies <laughs> and, and any horror movies or or, or yeah. thrillers or you know as yeah. soon as you see the family pet, you know it's going to be meat within mm-hmm. you know, and it's all just kind of a question of how far in the film will it make it. And oh, I will say with this film, at least, it has actual resonance within the story and it and it, it continues yeah. to drive the kid, you know, it, and it's referenced again and it is an integral part of the story. So many times when this happens, you know, it's almost like, you know, the, the people come out and they found their family pet hanging from a tree or something. And everybody's traumatized for like oh, yeah. a couple of minutes and it's their back around the family oh, it's, just it's having really, dinner. It's like, uh, it, it's like yeah. it didn't happen. It's like, okay, back to life is normal. It's a, it's a forgettable shock moment. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's you can here, tell in this, in this movie. This one, it's really... Yeah, it's really impactful, like you said, because yeah. Thomas... Uh, all through the movie, he thinks this is this is Santa Claus. It's not a guy. No, yeah, yeah. They, they, this yeah. is Santa Claus. Right. So. He thinks that Santa Claus that he is by that by he was told by his mother this little this little bitty fiction that any mom would probably make up to make the recalcitrant recalcitrant child actually go to bed instead of trying to stay up on Christmas Eve. That if you stay up and try to try to try to seek Santa Claus or talk to him or something like that, he he turns into an ogre. And he thinks that's what has happened, is that he yeah. broke that rule, yeah. Yeah. and that fairy tale logic leads him to, that's why he's a monster, and that's why he killed my dog. And the dog killing is, I don't want to say dog killing is great, but... Well, it's very effective. It's, it's very, very effective. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see mm-hmm. the dog get killed, Yeah. but the way they did it was just so... Oh, when the director explained that it, yeah. it's his hand actually doing that with yeah. the dog, it's him actually doing this in the suit. And just... The knife goes down behind the dog and hits and embed, the blood bag. And, embed, and, embed, and, embed, and embeds in wood, giving you that nice thunk sound mm-hmm. in the first place. And the dog, and the dog great... because of the sound, twitched. Mm. <laughs> it's just like, holy shit, that looks real as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. You want to talk about selling an effect. <laughs> and I love the fact that the director, he flat out said, he said, we got it in one take. And it's like, thank God. <laughs> that really worked. I mean, it's like, you're not going to get the dog to react like that again, mm-hmm. you know. Have I told you guys about the, the, the planning I'm this all I'm going to put into it. I'm doing a book for McFarland, by the way, that's going to be a catalog, <laughs> a system catalog 
I've, I've actually got the title already. It's going to be called, it's going to be called Snuffy Gets Snuffed. It's going to be an exhaustive, fil- an exhaustive listing of pet deaths in, in, in horror cinema. So, yeah. I'm going to sell it for $75 hardbound to McFarland. So, yeah. with, 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 with photos of each canine death. <laughs> yeah, right. And the number of minutes it makes it in the film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd buy that book. Yeah. I think you would, yeah. I'd buy the Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually surprised that hasn't been written. Oh no, exactly. You think somebody out there? I know. Exactly. Yeah, honestly, somebody, somebody, somebody right yeah. now is gonna 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 hear this podcast. And go, God damn it! He stole my idea. <laughs> <laughs> the last chapter will be the ones where the pets, you know, where the animals survive. It'd be a very thin chapter, but it does happen. Just to, it, it's always the exception that proves the rule. But it's you know, it's always a, a shock when that's the biggest shock of all. Is like, oh my God, the pet made it to the end of the film. How did this happen? You know. So. Now, will um, how will um, hills have eyes where you kept put both films in the same entry or, <laughs> yeah. since, or since two has a flashback to the first oh event. god good point yeah good point <laughs> oh god that's true that's so weird because one of the dogs survives and has a flashback and a dog has that a does flashback has true, yeah. sequel, PTSD uh, for the dog yeah poor, poor puppy <laughs> he's remembering when his when his mate died yeah <laughs> what the fuck are we watching again <laughs> okay so we were off track we're off track okay hang on so convinced that this intruder is Santa, who's now turned into a murderous ogre, uh, Thomas gets chased around the house for the next hour of this, the film's runtime by this this madman. And uh, what follows is a, a game of, uh, I guess, cat and mouse as he uses his security system and all the booby traps he's got already set up in the house, as well as his arsenal of kind of bizarre often toy-like weaponry to defend himself and his and his grandfather and uh, kind of fight off the, the trespasser or hide from him most of the time try to hide from him. And I thought that well, was a nice sort of element to the film too is that he's got to protect the grandfather. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's cool. And then and uh, and I love the fact that again him being in this living in this huge almost castle like place is there's all these secret passages and the hidden yes. rooms which mm-hmm. also works to his advantage too. And I love that main big hidden room that's just incredible design you know well the big hidden room where it's clear that the, that the family has owned this house for forever and ever and ever yeah. and he says this is where all the all the kids toys have ended up yeah for for decades and decades and I just thought that was absolutely amazing because it's this humongous room it's like a freaking aircraft carrier size room it's insane yeah. it's just packed with all this stuff Got every toy in there except Richard Pryor. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's like this bizarre. It's like this bizarre moment. Uh, it's like the the end shot of Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. in that warehouse, or a, sh- a shot of like the the warehouse stuff in uh, Citizen Kane or something yeah, like that, right. where you're just you're just looking at this and going, "My God, it seems to just keep going on and into the distance." You know, it just the, the what we can't see is only because there are no lights back there. It's like this is huge. And I, I just think I think it's it's one of those uh, unexpected little joys in the film is just this humongous place filled with just toy. I mean, it's, they're yeah. all over the place, and it's just like somehow believable mm-hmm. within the structure of this mm-hmm. this film and the way this house is built. It's just really it's it, it's fa- it's fascinating because yeah. that would you would think that would be something that would break the reality, but it just kind of makes it set more in cement. Well, just in the way that the obvious, when you're looking at the castle and scenes and you know, it's a model, but it yeah. doesn't distract, it doesn't take you away from the film. It kind of fits with the Christmas theme, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of yeah. in this, in this room too, 
it's kind of like when you're suddenly in this room, you're suddenly like in this in this weird kind of almost like fantasy land. And I made me wonder if this film had any kind of influence at all on um, the guy that did, uh, you know, City of Lost Children and you oh, know, oh, yeah. uh, Jean-Pierre uh, Jeunet, I think his well, name is. But I wonder if it had kind of an influence on some of the things he did style-wise. With Well, I do know that they, apparently they were working on... The the team who were made who you know that that, that, that filmmaker was yeah, a part of yeah. they were working on a film at the same time they were working on this film okay uh, because the director mentioned that at some point but I can't remember what film they were working on that early because City of Lost Children is ninety five would have been it would have been Delicatessen would it um, I guess it must have maybe. been the early stages of Delicatessen yeah, yeah you're right because that was eighty nine I forgot that he mentioned eighty nine or ninety yeah. or something okay. like that so yeah yeah I mean I mean don't get me wrong that the as as weird a film as this is to have come out of France at that time, mm-hmm. it was the, the the ones that it was the films made by those filmmakers, Delicatessen to a lesser degree, but City of Lost Children really bl- broke it wide in '95, where yeah. you're like, oh wow, they make weird ass kind of Terry Gilliam esque mm-hmm. types of films in France as well. Yeah, it could be that maybe both of them were just kind of. You know, catching on to a zeitgeist kind of thing that was going Maybe. through because he talks about yeah. how the, the genre films had almost totally disappeared in France mm-hmm. for the, a while now. Yeah, that he was kind of making these times you weren't supposed to make genre films. That he was already the, you know critics kind of snubbed him for this film because it was a genre film. But it's possible that these guys at the same that sort of uh, several filmmakers in France were kind of catching this feeling there was something missing from French cinema that they were all sort of starting to bring back was this kind of fantasist, this uh, Jean Cocteau kind of fantasist visual style. Right, right, because style. as he as he was saying, it's like before World War II, mm-hmm. the, you know, Jean Cocteau, the, he, he rattled off several French mm-hmm. French directors. He says they worked almost primarily in fantasy. Yeah. And it's like after World War II, it's like nobody did. Yeah. Like yeah. it's just like dropped. It was it was uh, it was new, new, nouveau reality. It was mm-hmm. trying to get documentary style documentary style fiction on the screen. Mm-hmm. It was trying to be as realistic as possible. Even the uh, the occasional science fictional story would be told you know you look at something like alphaville it's like that's told uh, that's that's told as a as a, a stone cold black and white reality as opposed mm-hmm. to anything fantastical mm-hmm. at all and it's like wow you know i've never really never really considered mm-hmm. how because like i say to me it's just i don't even think about that period of time because my mind if i think about well french fantasy cinema i think of the last 30 years and i go to City of Lost Children. Yeah, immediately. right, right, yeah. But yeah, yeah he's right. He's, this is sitting there staring at us now mm-hmm. from 1989, mm-hmm. and yeah, there just wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot of it, and it's kind of weird. But as you lay out the the cinema being made in Europe at the time, that's different. But in France specifically, mm-hmm. it was it, you were still you know it was kitchen sink dramas. It was it was uh, it was you know family dramas. It was serious cinema. "Quote unquote," mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you you get crime procedurals. Maybe you get you know Jean Paul Jean Paul Belmondo action movies or something like that. Yeah. But what you don't get mm-hmm. are things like this mm-hmm. until the nineties. Yeah. So this is you know part of the that starting to kind of, I guess uh, that wave kind of trying to start, but mm-hmm. not doing as well as it probably should have. Yeah. Hudson, you are the one who picked this film. Do you think we should spoil it, or should we kind of leave the ending? Uh, a little unknown for people who've not, because not a lot of people are going to have seen this movie. Yeah, you know, I don't know. That's a good. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I I I realized I was making the decision there. Maybe we should we should do that by committee because I didn't pick the movie. I do love the movie, but at the same time, we're all sitting here saying, "Well, I didn't see this movie until last year or this year." So, well, I guess we can. Let's just throw out 
the one big part of the ending that I think we can all agree isn't really spoiling the ending is Santa does not kill the little boy. Yes, this is not that kind of French movie. So no. we'll, we'll put that out and we'll avoid any of the other details as to what happens that okay, Santa it. does not kill the little boy. Yeah, we've already given away the fact that the dog dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But whether the mother dies or how many other adults might croak, like, well, I don't know. That old man who ends up in a suit of armor. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we won't we won't go there. So sounds like a good because I do recommend anybody see this movie and it's streaming yeah. on Shutter right now. Oh, I did not know it that. is. Okay, so it's easy to see. Okay, good, good, good. Well, that means more people can see it. They don't have to necessarily rush out and buy the uh, the 4K and the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Although it does look fantastic, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm yes. sure the version that's shown on Shutter is probably taken from that as well. So, or, or probably pretty close. So, I imagine it looks pretty good. Yeah, and if the vinegar cinema is out of the slip covers, Rod's got one. He'll give you because <laughs> <laughs> he hates those things. <laughs> I don't hate them. I just don't understand the need for them. <laughs> Same with same with steel books. It's like I have some steel books, but it's just because that's the way I stumbled across the damn Blu-ray. <laughs> now I'm that way with steel books. I've got it maybe four or five, and that's I don't I haven't gone out of my way to get them. It's just yeah, I only I, I only get one if it's the first way I bought. Like if I don't have the film at all, and it's the first way it's available, you know, and it's in the steel book, you know, and that's so I've got like probably I can count on one hand probably the yeah, number same. I've got, you know. I don't have many, but yeah, I'm not going to rebuy a film that I already have just because it came out with a damn steelbook. Yeah. I've got Rock and Roll High School, Forbidden World, My Bloody Valentine. That might be about it. Uh-huh. I have Mothra. And oh, I've got Mothra. See, I wanted that Mothra one. And, and, and Doctor Who, uh, Evil of the Daleks. <laughs> because I wasn't going to wait for the American release. I wanted the fucking thing now. <laughs> Give me. <laughs> Give me my animated Doctor Who that no longer exists in its original form. Yeah, I forgot about the Mill Creek, like the Mothra. And yeah, I guess I the them. Ultraman Blu-rays. I got a couple of the Ultramans, that's true. Do those yeah. count? Boy, we're yeah, really some chick yeah, magnets right here. Right now. <laughs> God, we're, Girls, we're come sad. over and watch Ultraman with us. <laughs> God, we're strange. Anyway. Well, yeah, this is this is what keeps Laura at home. Is she's yes. like, she's... Afraid that if she leaves the house, <laughs> all the steelbook women come over. <laughs> all, all the Ultraman steelbook. They steelbook surround women. the house like uh, like the vampires in Last Man on Earth, <laughs> waving, waving bottles of whiskey at yeah. you, begging for me to open the door and let them come in. <laughs> okay, okay. Briefly back to the movie. Uh, I, I love the fact that uh, this this uh, this crazy Santa Claus is is smart enough to. Uh, to cut the phone lines mm. and uh, <clears throat> ends up beating the holy living crap out of the only car they've got that can get that they could possibly escape in. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's an actual <clears throat> scary sequence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then again, another sequence, beautifully shot and filmed. Yes, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is. There's there's not a sequence in this movie that there, there is literally <clears> only <throat> one, and it was great to have the director pointed out as well. There's literally yeah, only one, of, one one moment <laughs> in the movie. Where you're just like, oh, that's 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 unfortunate. <laughs> Which is that that strange animated bit piece where the the boy is hanging off. Oh the sure, edge yeah, of the house. yeah. That's like okay. And it just it really work. does stand. <laughs> it really does stand out as like the only effects moment in the movie where you're like, yeah, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah, uh, that didn't work. Should have found another way to do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. And he's like, yeah. 
and, and to hear him in the in that long interview mm-hmm. bring it up and go, yeah, that's that's the one that's the one thing in the movie I would change. And I'm like, yeah, I understand exactly why you would change it too, buddy, because it doesn't look great. Yeah, you should have cut to a shot of the little cow from Frankenstein conquers the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything. The little plastic toy cow that yeah. just went to the local you know toy market or something bought bought a plastic cow and did it. oh look, it's a real cow, really. Yeah. Looky there. Moo moo. <laughs> and also, like I say, won't give away that won't give away this. But uh, the boy's mom eventually becomes becomes concerned because she can't get hold of anybody there, and we got the boy trying to find some way to 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 get word out mm-hmm. uh, by walkie talkie with his friend who lives a couple miles away, mm-hmm. to, just any way at all. And so it becomes this thing where it's, he, he sends a is it it's not it's not a fax. He sends like a an email. That gets printed out on the on the old yeah. dot matrix printer oh, yeah. there in the department store, and you're thinking hopefully like the the boyfriend of his mom will actually spot that mm-hmm. too. It's just all this stuff slowly building over time, where you're just like, God, how he's got to be able to find a way to communicate outside this freaking house somehow. <laughs> and he gets word to his friend as well, which yeah was I thought it was kind of cool because Thomas's room, you see his posters on his wall, and it looks like looks like what one of us wished our room had looked yeah, like because yeah. like there's like. Texas Chainsaw 2 and Freddy Krueger and Critters and Iron Maiden. And and then you see his friend's room and it's just like a bunch of boring horses. Yeah. It's like, why would Thomas hang out with this kid? Well, I love the fact that the the, the scene they have together, it's, it's, they're, they're kind of antagonistic toward mm-hmm. each other, mm-hmm. and it's clear that it's the mutual interests that are the only thing that are keeping this friendship yeah. going. <laughs> I gotta say, I do love it when we do finally have a policeman show up. Mm-hmm. The suspense builds brilliantly, and there's a good ebb and flow. There's a there's a good you know there are peaks and valleys as the tension is tightened and released. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, you know there are escapes. There are uh, there there are moments when uh, you're you're convinced that things are going to go sideways, and then something unexpected happens. There's a there it's it's masterfully done. It's beautifully shot, and it's just a really effective movie. And uh, I'm hoping. And I'm sure you probably agree. Uh, I'm hoping that this is a movie that over like the next decade, now that it's more easily available, will become one of those things that people start referencing the way we reference things yeah. like, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, or, yeah. or Silent Night, Bloody Night, or, or any, or, like any of those. Yeah, and I'll be honest, it's Trick or Treat from, mm-hmm. you know, what, 12 years ago now, Yeah, that I see this as being kind of a, a, a good kind of... A, companion piece for the holidays because mm-hmm. both of them are they're, they're really focused on the visual and how, how beautifully shot these movies are so much attention to detail mm-hmm. so much uh, so much uh, time and effort put into making everything look as good as it can look yeah. uh, which is not something you can say about you know Silent Night <laughs> The, 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 those movies, they, the, the interest that we have in them is because they're highly reflective of the times in which they're made. Mm-hmm. Not because the people making them were going, let's make this as gorgeous as possible. Right. That's yeah. not a consideration for the people making those movies. They were making a, a, a they had different I, they had different aims. Mm-hmm. But these movies really are striving to be gorgeous, pretty, mm-hmm. beautiful, just uh, put as many painterly images. There are, I swear to you, there are so many still images that you could take from this movie, yeah. and it would just you would just think, oh, that's just like a beautiful greeting card image or something mm. like that. It's just so many moments where you're just stunned by the visuals alone. Well, in fact, that visual sense starts the very first shot of the movie is where you see yeah. 
it looks like the Eiffel Tower with snow falling on it, and it pulls out. You back. see, it's a snow globe, yeah. and then a garbage truck runs over it. Yeah, and and, and, the, and the garbage, the people, the the, the garbage men, they're dressed like elves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're in, they're in all green, and I swear to you, and I kept trying to zoom in. I it's like they're wearing elf ears. He never never gives you he never gives you a good enough look at them and they don't tilt their head enough in either direction so that you can tell for sure. But I I would swear to God they're wearing pointed ears. You know, the film we did last year for this show, you better watch out. Better watch out. That I almost feel like you need you guys' memory to ask me if I'm right about this, because I almost felt like when I saw that, I almost felt like that began. With a similar scene that looked like it was going to be like a, a, a like a nice Christmas kind of scene, and then something really like it violent. Did. What? Exactly, it totally did. And it made me um, wonder. There's like kids building snowmen and playing. Yeah. Yes. And then a, like an older brother knocks down a little girl's snowman. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You dick licker. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and actually, seeing that, I was thinking like, I wonder if those guys have made you better watch out. I wonder if that was a little homage, or if that was kind of like a, a little tip of the hat to this film because it starts with almost that exact same kind of. A feel like I don't know. It, 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 it's, yeah. it's a great way to open a, 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 a movie yeah. like that because yeah. once you set, and this is just true, once you set a movie in, in, yeah. uh, in the holiday season, yeah. the the overwhelming impulse is to just immediately kind of settle in and get a little mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you can just immediately slap the audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's like that whole great beginning of Krampus, you know, where they all, where it's just all the people charging in for the Christmas sale and they're all <laughs> fighting and beating <laughs> each other up, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But getting back to trick or treat, it's it's kind of like what we're talking about. Is is the similarities? Is we're hoping that this will kind of happen in some way for this film, in yeah. the sense of like trick or treat to start as a film that just sat on the shelves that the idiot you know movie company didn't have any idea what to do with it. To now a decade over a little over a decade after its release, it's considered a classic, you know, and yeah. it's referenced everywhere. And and people you're hoping to see this film maybe get that same kind of something similar to that. Where now that it would it's be out nice, on Blu-ray, yeah. and you, we'll talk about it. Maybe some other podcasts out there might do something on it, and maybe it'll kind of start reaching a bigger audience. You know? It's got a shot at it, just the fact that it's so much easier to see. Yeah. The fact that you can see it yeah. at all. Yeah. Well I I got a I got a question from both of you and this is this is something I put a little bit of thought into, but I I knew that as soon as I threw this question out it would kind of pique your interest as well. It's like what without giving, you know, anything from the third act away that we don't want to necessarily give away, what's your favorite sequence or scene in the movie? And hmm. you made an earlier Hudson, you made uh, you made mention of the the scene when when the, the, the he slaps the the Santa slaps mm-hmm. the little girl as being just an exquisitely done scene, and it is. And I don't know if that's what you would pick because what I immediately go to when I think about really great scenes because there's so many little really great scenes in the movie or little sequences, little bits and pieces here and there. The the one that keeps playing again and again in my mind. Is just this little brief moment just before the Santa comes down the chimney where we see Thomas, who set himself up there in that room under the table, and he's fallen asleep. Mm -hmm. And it's the sounds of this guy coming down the chimney that wakes him up. And it's just that look of that that kid who's who's even managed to prop himself up a little bit so it'll be harder for him to fall asleep. Uh He still managed to fall Uh asleep. Uh Uh-huh. That's that perfect. Uh-huh. That's that perfect little kid moment of, <clears throat> I'm getting. You know, I'm going to manage this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. And, and it's like, no, man, you're going to fail utterly. <laughs> you're asleep. There's nothing there keeping you awake, and you have fallen asleep. And it's just, it's just a beautiful little moment. And it's also a moment right before just the gates of hell open up. It's mm-hmm. like that perfect mm-hmm. moment just before 
the nightmare starts. Mm-hmm. And I just I, I that's the one that I keep going back to thinking, oh that's just a that's that's perfect. Because it, it it's yeah. nothing there's it's 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 exactly what you would imagine happening. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole sequence is probably my favorite where it's starting with that moment yeah. through the bit where he kills the dog because you see Thomas he's excited, he can't believe it. he sees Santa's feet come down, he sees him yeah. pull out the little basket with the presents he's like oh my gosh I'm seeing Santa the dog comes out oh no and of course he can't say anything because he doesn't want Santa to know he's there and then when he sees things going that that kid's a great actor too the kid's great he's really good good job it's so difficult and that and the the scene in the department store where he slaps the little girl that's the other sequence both those are great I I also kind of love the the effectiveness of the uh the adult performance from the actress playing his mom, and I'm trying to remember the actress's name, uh, Fossey, Bridget, Bridget Fossey. Her her entire performance is really good. She's really charming at the beginning when she's when she's uh, the 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 sweet mom. But the scene in the the scene uh, in the, in her car as she's racing to get home because she can't get anybody on the phone. Her acting in that sequence is really good, and those are those are hard scenes to pull off mm-hmm. because she's acting against a freaking phone, and uh, you know while while attempting to fake drive, and she's just, her 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 tone of her tone tone of voice, the way uh, the way her way everything escalates into that into uh, uh, the end of that scene. Ha <laughs> See, I managed to manage. I managed to not say too much. Uh, <laughs> I just think that that's another great little bit of acting, and it's just any time we get a, a, a good close look at Patrick Florsheim, the guy who's playing the the Deadly Santa character, he's just he he communicates so much. Uh, his, with face. his face, yeah, he's amazing. so good, yeah. so good. For what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I could. I love those sequences you guys are talking about and those elements of it. I mean, as far as I did love the. Uh, the the little back and forth with the uh, the little train with the grenade on it there and all <laughs> yeah. that, that that's a that, that's a pretty okay good, yeah yeah that's that was great that, too. it's yeah. a pretty good yeah. cool scene there where they you Thomas is waiting for this this grenade he's rigged up to explode and and it's and this is another one of those cases where for where he's momentarily saved by I think the killer's childlike nature because yeah. the killer's kind of fascinated by this train too and especially when it starts like smoking he's actually kind of almost as fascinated enough in it. Or distract enough in it that it allows Thomas to, to kind of survive, get away again, because all this goes really horribly wrong for Thomas. This is like yes. one of those things where you know, and it, that's pretty effective because you're 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 expecting, you think, okay, this is the point where Thomas is starting to use all of his ingenuity and and his his stuff, you know, his little gadgets to start to turn the tables on, you know, but but it really half the things he tries don't really work the way that he he expects them to. Yeah. And this is one that doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, turn out like what he. He thought it was going to, and I, I, I like the way. Uh, one of the things I like about Thomas's character, I think they did a good job of kind of s- establishing how he's the reason. The way he he is, the way he is, is kind of a combination of his parents, you know, because his dad, who was obviously in the military and is is gone now, that's where he gets his all his knowledge of of military things, gadgets, and and things in you know military like, training, and tactics, and all the tactics, and you know, all the stuff yeah. he's planning out, and yeah. Whereas I think from his mom, we see where he kind of gets his obsessiveness and his sort of you know, it's like from the way that she handles her business, it kind of establishes that she's yeah. very one track minded and very just all about running that store, and and he's left a lot on his own. But the way he kind of goes about this determination to prove you know that Santa exists, he kind of goes about it almost kind of with the same single minded determination that she goes about her life there so i think it kind of does a good job of without 
you know, kind of, you know, without overstressing the point there, you know, or it's making of how he's very much the the, the result, you know, kind of, of the, his two parent of his parents, you know. Yeah. Uh, in, in a little 10-year-old boy package. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, that's one sequence where that's one of the few moments in the film where you have to kind of turn your brain off. It's during the uh, the second montage sequence in the film where they play the Bonnie Tyler Christmas song. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk, you know, we have to talk about the song, but go ahead. Okay, okay. well, but, it, but it's that. a sequence sort of like the end of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street near the end where Nancy, which was, that's our second Nightmare on Elm Street yeah, comparison. I, I, guess, I guess it is. Yeah. But where... Um, he, you see him like rig up all these little traps and tricks yeah. and gadgets, yep. and it's something where just like in Nightmare on Elm Street, you think this would take somebody days I to do. I thought about that too. I thought, what is the killer doing? Oh, this well, is like this guy. This, but this movie, I got to say, this movie has already gives you that little leap of logic a lot easier because he's been setting stuff like this up and playing with his oh, dog true. for a long period of time. So. It would have if he was starting from zero, but this kid is not starting from zero with this stuff. And plus, there was, I think he also had help from the Invisible Chimp. Oh, <laughs> oh I thought uh, you were going to say the caretaker. I thought he was going to say the grandfather. I was like, <laughs> no, what are you <laughs> no, I mean, you saw him, but you didn't see the Invisible uh, that's right. Chimp, and that's, that's right. had to be the person who was handing well, him the I <laughs> love the fact that even as a 10 year old kid, he feels a sense of responsibility, even before all this shit starts to go down, for hit, for ta- helping yeah. take care of his grandfather. Yeah, the chemistry that he has mm. with the, the two of those characters have together is yeah. is great. I mean, it really does seem like a real grandfather and grandson. Mm. I know, and the, the, when they're playing, when they're playing uh, the uh, the role playing game, they're on the table, and it's clearly they make they're making it clear that this mm. is a, this is like a yeah. campaign they've been playing for yeah. months and months and months. Yeah, that was just that's just so cool. That's that thing where it's like they're really engaged mm. with each other. These these two people do a lot together. Oh, and that's another great example of the visual style of this film is those figures they're using are, are awesome. You know, yes. they said they were made for the film, but but uh, the, the one figure that uh, it shows a couple of times in the film, but the, the Santa Claus, like it looks like a. I tell you what it looked like to me when I saw it. I thought, God, it looks blind like a dead. blind dead Santa Claus. It looks like, you know. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to say it. Because I was like, I'm not going like, to be the first to say it. I'm not going to be the first yeah, to say it. Right? Yeah, the figure. And, but what's cool, too, and again, I'm going to say this in a way that doesn't give away too much and all, but just as things, as the battle between Thomas and the killer go on, the killer gets more and more kind of wounded himself. It looks like, yeah. you know, toward the point where he very much starts to resemble, in a way, this this Santa Claus yeah. creature, yeah. this Santa Claus, weird hooded Santa Claus creature. Oh, that and, then, and then that brilliant piece of filmmaking where. The, the camera is, goes into, you know, zooms into the Santa's hood. Yes. The, hood, yes. the, the hooded, uh, you know, kind of Father Christmas hood. And then slowly pans, you know, pulls back out and pulls around. And we move from looking at the, the crazed Santa Claus guy to that little figurine. Yeah. Yeah. And then starts rotating around to show us the room where other things are happening. It's just like, yeah. man, this is this is just good filmmaking. Yeah. Because well, and not just that, but the other figurine that you see... Facing yeah. off against this, is the little elf. the blind dad saying yeah. it's the little elf Peter Pan's yeah. Elf character yeah. would be, which is like ah, let's just go ahead and you know visualize <laughs> visualize what's happening in the movie yeah. in statues here. So yeah, it's, it's it's great, and I it, yeah, the, the, there's not a bad performance. The, the the visual sense and style is is beautiful. It's just a, it's a movie that I have absolutely no trouble recommending to almost yeah. anybody. You know, I love to uh, one of the things I thought was really effective about this film that I thought was real smart too is it because because an American version of this, which I guess you know, again, if you look at Home Alone, you know, would would be the type that took this route is and, and this film doesn't take the route of like I love the fact that Thomas through all of this is you know terrified through it all yeah. you know yeah. and just you know it, despite all these gadgets and things that he rigs up, there's never a point. You know, 
where he becomes super overconfident or becomes suddenly a story of like you know him just kicking the killer's ass all through the film yeah this is not like Home Alone where yeah. essentially you have you know two uh, two, Looney to- yeah. two Looney Tunes characters yeah. being you know being hit with anvils that's yeah. not what this is this yeah. this this kid is really scared yeah. oh yeah throughout and a lot of the times where he gets away it's just luck exactly yeah. and at the end you can actually my last note was how much therapy is this kid gonna need <laughs> a lot yeah i mean a yeah. whole lot yeah. <laughs> and i got I, lo- I gotta love that it's that's emphasized i think by that final shot which is a co- which which we learned from the inter- interview with the director is a compromise of what he actually wanted to yeah, do right but that final shot of the fireplace again with the boots sit in front of it mm-hmm it was just like, oh, that's that's a great image because mm-hmm. that's that your that European tradition. That's what the you know, the boots is what the the toys would be put into, unlike the stocking thing, which yeah. is a different tradition. And it's just, you know, it's perfect because that that's the visual moment of the movie saying, yeah, that's the last real Christmas this kid's ever going to have. Mm-hmm. He's never going to be able to have a Christmas again mm-hmm. where this is not in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's it's. I, I think it's just an incredibly effective movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the original ending, which we won't spoil anything talking about, is another. I think points. It would have been en- great. But it also points to the ingenuity of the director yeah. in the face of a budget that was oh, so yeah. tight. Yeah. That originally, Thomas's friend was going to show up with three policemen. Yeah. And he didn't have money for the three extras. Yeah. He couldn't yeah. do it. He couldn't, he couldn't get another place. He couldn't get a place. It, it is amazing to hear him talk about this film saying that, you know, this film was in danger every day of just being totally shut, shut down. down. Yeah. I think it was his brother that pretty much saved the Yeah. His, his brother's the one who's like the major producer on it, who's like a, who yeah. made a lot of money as a musician, and that's how the movie got made. It's amazing yeah. they made it all in this well, it wasn't a film studio. It was a warehouse. And they said about how they had to stop filming every 20 minutes for the trains to come by. <laughs> yeah. And he said, now it's a famous studio. Because then they turned it, after that film, they turned it into a studio and put soundproofing in and made it a working film studio. But at that time... Said, but in 88, mentioned- when they were shooting this, it was like, well, we, every 20 minutes a train would go by. We just, everybody just had to stop till the train went by. Well, you would never know looking at it that no. this movie was as budget-strapped as it was. <laughs> but okay, i got to talk about the, that, that, that theme song. <laughs> Listen, Bonnie Tyler's a great theme song, but it is well, yeah. it is the song yeah. of the movie. Yeah, yeah and Bonnie, Bonnie Tyler's a great singer, and yeah. she does a great job on this. But she has a she she is a boy. Talk about somebody who can convey pain with her her singing. <laughs> this is like just a gut wrenching song. You know, it's just like oh my god, this is one of the most agonizing ag- or agonized Christmas songs I've ever heard. It's just, I mean, yeah, she's she's singing Merry Merry Christmas, but, and it's like. It's like you can hear the pain behind every <laughs> syllable. I mean, it's like, yeah. oh my God. While you see, among other shots, Thomas crying his eyes out as he carries his, his dead, dead dog. dog you know, know. With like, the dog lolling in his, his arms with his tongue. I know. I know. It's like, it's like and, and, and it doesn't help me to know that they just drug the dog. No, okay? that's the dog is yeah, just, that's the, the dog is knocked out. Yeah. He's, the dog was not harmed. It yeah. looks, I'm sorry, it looks dead. Yeah, yeah. But that's just what I'm talking about, too, is, some, is, is the fact that it actually goes through the whole thing of, of circling back around to having bury his dog and cry over his dog. And most of these films don't do that. And most yeah. of these films, you know, it's like, oh my God, they killed our pet. Okay, lot goes, you know, let's forget. Life goes on. Life goes on. Nothing's wrong here, but, um, but uh, yeah, the 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 I think I realized that you know I know the guy that wrote the song who I think is also the it's what, his, it's the his brother, brother it's the brother who produced the brother of the director who produced it wrote the song and I know that he wrote what she's singing are kind of his English translations of his original lyrics so it's probably why they're also a little bit still even more mm-hmm. odd but just that yeah. that opening line of like happy birthday Christmas or something it's, what a weird opening yeah it's like what <laughs> you know yeah but yeah that's just a, a very <laughs> 
That's a very odd song. So. <laughs> but what was weird is I knew that song without ever having seen this movie. Well, I figure a lot of people do because yeah. I mean, they made a video for it and it probably mm-hmm. showed on MTV and Bonnie Tyler is pretty, I mean, she had some hits. Especially at that time, pretty, yeah. she had, had, she had, had a, like two or three hits at that point. Yeah, that was coming off of Total Clips of the Heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That song from Footloose, that wasn't that far. It was what, 83, 84? Yeah. So. Yeah. so you're yes. talking just a few years later, her career was still in pretty much, pretty much in third gear by yeah. then, I think. The so. video probably got more circulation, yeah, than, than the movie yeah. did. Well, that's what's weird is now having seen the, the video, it's like, I think I saw that video years ago, probably, too. Yeah, probably did, you know, yeah. Probably yeah. probably around Christmas time, randomly, <laughs> who knows. Uh-huh. But it's just, wow. You know, so, how, so how did you know, how did the, the music video, I guess it's just because it's a song. It's like, yeah. oh, another holiday song. Here yeah. we go, just throw it out there. But, uh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Don't change kids, stay with I'd say good choice. Well, yes, thank you, sir. Thank you. Definitely. definitely a good choice. And uh, I think we all uh, we all recommend the film to varying degrees for various uh, various and sundry reasons. Yeah. Probably mostly the all the same reasons. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I think we're all pretty on board with this one. I think it's. Yeah. I, 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 oh, totally, yeah. I totally do recommend it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. This is uh, 
This is a good one, folks. Seek it out. I did not know. Thank you for telling everybody again, just it's on Shutter. Yeah, again, just say it's, you know, do you want to throw it again? You know, this is not a, a, a feel-good family film, you know. Now, no. you know, it's like, so we didn't spoil the ending. We did say the kid does not get killed, but that don't don't let that, don't make yeah. it. It's still, the ending is, is not not one that's going to, like, warm your heart, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. there aren't a lot of wacky, ha-ha moments. No, there's not. Daniel Stern doesn't fall on his butt very often <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah. This, this ain't a Looney Tunes cartoon. No. It's definitely not. Well, uh, hold on, folks. We're going to take a quick break. And apparently we have a couple of pieces, oh, at least one piece of, yeah, of email. Yes, so we'll, yeah. uh, we'll get to that just in a moment. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth podcast. This podcast takes no shortcut in producing outstanding content. How they haven't become more widely recognized is beyond me. I love this show. Smart commentary, in-depth interviews, and great production. It's obvious how serious these guys take their podcast and bring that next level of professionalism that anyone would be hard-pressed to match. There are few things better in life than listening to people who are both passionate and knowledgeable about their subject matter. The Projection Booth, with their wide and wild range of film discussions, is one of those things. Simple as that. The Projection Booth is the highest quality film podcast around. I love the focus on cult films, witty, informative banter, and amazing interviews. The Projection Booth is the best podcast out there, if you're a serious film lover. The Projection Booth Podcast, with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com. All right. Uh, we've, got a, we've got at least one email here and a message that I don't want to be read out. So let's start with the email so that, so that, we, so that we slid downhill. What do you got there, Troy? Yeah, well, this actually came to our uh, NashiCast uh, mailbox because uh, it, it, it does reference the NashiCast, but it's actually, uh, I decided to read it on this show because it, it really mainly references the a Bloody Pit series that Rod and I have been doing about the Universal horror movies, and specifically the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman episode that we uh, just recently did. <clears throat> this is from Steve. He says, "Rod and Troy, I enjoyed your recent podcast on Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I haven't watched that film lately, but as usual, your discussion about it makes me want to load up that Blu-ray sitting on my shelf. On April Fool's Day, please do a podcast about that long-lost classic film, Rex Havoc, Rex Havoc." <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> He's referring to oh God. the actor Rex Evans, who you know apparently this this apparently this uh, uh, bar, uh, the innkeeper character that Rex Evans plays in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman is going to end up being like a Pierre from you know from from uh, Werewolf Shadow is like sort of his own is going to take on a life of his own as far as among <laughs> our listeners because uh, we've had several people call in and tell us how. How uh, we uh, uh, almost caused them severe trauma from laughing about the things we said about the uh, innkeeper who decides to blow blow the dam. Blow, there. blow, the, blow up the dam slash in the movie. Yes, he says. He says I was unfortunately doing about seventy five miles per hour on the highway when you called Rex Evans Rex Havoc. He says somehow he says somehow I managed to keep my vehicle in my lane while laughing uncontrollably. That's like three people we've had come in and say that we almost made them wreck listening to that show. We were about that. Maybe we need to maybe we need to put a warning in the yeah, beginning of each yeah, other. Do, do not, not listen yes, to all. Do not listen uh, to the following program while operating a heavy, heavy, <laughs> heavy machinery. Yeah, yeah I know. So he's, anyway, he says, uh, he says, also, I've been enjoying collecting and watching the various Paul Nashi Blu-rays as, as they're released. They're all time, they're all first time watches for me, so I look forward to each new release. Somehow I missed picking up the Frenchman's Garden disc when it was released, but today I ordered that one too. Can't wait to see it. Keep up the fun podcasts. Well, thank you very much, Steve, and uh, we're thank glad you. we gave you some hilarity there, yeah. but... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I forgot about the whole Rex Havoc. Well, Rex I, Havoc. I, I've got to say, over the over the years, one thing that I've learned, and I'm I'm glad we learned it early on, because mm. because it was the Werewolf Shadow thing, the the, the your writing your, with your, Pierre. your yeah, writing with Pierre game show that you spewed out <laughs> that we just kept building on. That's that's the thing that taught me that there's not going to be a single funny thing that I think of while making my notes that's going to be funnier than the batshit thing that we just start batting around yeah. in the middle of an episode. Yeah, it's like and, the fu- the funny thing I. Had for Frankenstein meets the Wolfman is who who allowed this fucking pub owner yeah. access to weapons of mass destruction? And it just <laughs> it just grew from there. You know? <laughs> yeah, and so often again, like in that case, and when I read his email, I had to sit and think a minute. Rex Havoc, right? You know, we say because again, these things yes. just come off the top of our heads, and, know, yeah. and then a few weeks later, I've forgotten. I've said, I was just like, I don't remember any of us either of us saying this, you know. But so I had to think about being like, oh, okay, now I remember what that was. So. <laughs> well, you and I had talked about the uh, the dialogue that was cut and it's like how much strength does the monster have oh yeah the strength of a hundred men <laughs> yeah, well, <that's> right. yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. was it 99 no a hundred men, men. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, Hudson. Read, read out the thing that you're going to read out, no matter what I say or do. And this is hot off the presses. This oh, came yes, through yes. as we recorded. We got a uh, a text from Bobby Hazard. Yes, indeed. And he says, "Hey, Rod, but I think he means everyone." Oh, of course. My podcast partner Eric agrees with me and Hud. Grunt the wrestling movie is a fun film. <laughs> you know, it may it may well be, uh, and I will never find out. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. It's just, there's so many things in life that I'll never I'll, I will continue continue to miss out on. It's sad. <laughs> you just got a box set of Bomba the Jungle Boy films. <laughs> hey, that's not a box set. That's only six movies. I don't think that qualifies as a box well, set. It's a little box, but <laughs> Grunt is just one movie. I think. I think the listeners want to hear you talk about grunt. They okay, say your boats, look, listeners. Look, I have I have acquiesced to the demands mm-hmm. of the folks, namely you and Bobby, <laughs> to do stunt rock because stunt rock is coming out on Blu-ray sometime next year. Grunt's already out on Blu-ray. Yes, that that means it's it's it's, it's, away it's aged. It's it's aged into obscurity. I can't see it now. <laughs> stunt rock, which I still I still say isn't really a movie. I will at least give Stunt Rock another try because it can be said that Stunt Rock is at least a documentary. It's it's two separate documentaries that Brian Trenchard Smith kind of rammed together. You know, some people think Grunt's a documentary. Maybe you should give it a but try and see what some the, people see think what all that the fuss applying is. electricity to their their scrotum is a really freaking great idea. I am not one of those people, and it's just so he says. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nipple man. <laughs> Somebody needs to send Rod a T-shirt that says I'm a nipple man. <laughs> oh, I better edit this out of this podcast. You know, I can't. Uh, I can't figure Bobby Hazard out, man. You know, he he recently on that you guys did turkey shoot, and he was talking about what how he went on and on about how much he loves Brian Trenchard Smith. Oh, I love Brian Trenchard Smith. Too. But then recently, I told Mr. Hazard that I was talking about how man I just sat through recently again. You know, rewatched. Uh, Dead End Drive-In. I was just thinking about oh, yeah, great movie. Movie. Well, and, he, and he's like, I've never been able to get through that film. No I was like, way. what? <laughs> oh, yeah, I really enjoy that movie. It's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I thought like, I, I, yeah, oh, Bobby, here, you, you are an enigma to us. You are an enigma to us. <laughs> you cannot figure well, it out. Here, here's right. an odd thing. I finally, just a couple of years ago, finally watched uh, Siege at Firebase Gloria, and I was bored by it. Well, but I hear a lot of people say it's one of their favorite of, of Trenchard Smith's films, hmm. and I was like, I 
first of all, I never believed a minute of it. Mm-hmm. So I never bought into anything that was happening. And it just never came to life for me. Yeah. So, and I was really kind of hoping yeah. that it would be one of those movies that I really yeah. enjoyed. But I, I didn't like it. That's that's rare mm-hmm. for a Brian Trenchard Smith film. I, I, yeah. I, I have a lot of fun with his movies. And it's weird that that one just does not work for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but I like everything else I've seen. Interesting, it, so. interesting cast. It just, it, it just, it, it feels, it feels artificial and unconvincing to me. And I maybe, maybe that's controversial amongst fans of the man's work, but I just didn't, I, I didn't. It doesn't didn't have the it. realism of Turkey Shoot. Is that <laughs> no? It doesn't have the heightened, the heightened, the heightened uh, psychosis from from Jump Street, so that you know what you're in for. <laughs> this one, he's, he really seems to be going for realism on this mm. film, and you know, kind of a sense of reality, and it just feels artificial. It doesn't feel fake. It, it doesn't feel like he's he's failing as a filmmaker. It feels like the 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 scenario just doesn't feel believable as a you know as a, a film that's supposed to take seriously let's put it that way well that's one thing grunt is very believable oh, so, uh, when you watch that you are gonna you will mm. not believe uh, god bring on sweet death <laughs> <laughs> well folks i think that will probably wrap things up remember that you can reach us and and try to convince me to watch a movie that i will never watch at the bloody pit at gmail.com uh, we will, of course, next year do another holiday movie. We'll let uh, I think who's is it's it? Troy's Troy's thing, my next turn. Year, yeah. So you, you've okay. got you've got a few months. Yeah, to, I'll be, I'll start a few months to that. figure it out. Start thinking on that. Uh, and Grunt's we'll a Christmas do, film, right? It is. It I came think, okay, I thought. So. Yeah, That's there is. Thought. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, you, you you fuckers need to chill. <laughs> <laughs> y'all y'all work in that last Christmas nerve. <laughs> <laughs> this is when the wooden spoon's about to be descending on people's heads. I wish there was a Christmas horror movie called that, The Last Christmas Nerve. That would be a fantastic. <laughs> that would be an awesome name for. A... <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a Medea film. <laughs> Y'all on my last, last Christmas, Christmas Nerve. <laughs> God save us all. <sighs> I don't. I don't want to go through that again. Anyway, so <laughs> folks, remember write to us. Send us emails, uh, send us voicemails, communicate with us in any way you wish. Just please, let's stay away from the things that I don't want to talk about. There's there's so much out in the world, mm-hmm. so many pleasant, wonderful things. I hope that you are having a happy holiday yes. period, Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, Chaka Khan, whatever you call it, I don't know anymore. What are all these holidays? I don't. Even, that's Hanukkah's over. Hanukkah's already over by the time we're. Doing, yeah, it's over by now. So. I, whatever holidays you you enjoy, let's all try to make it to the new year with uh, you know peace, love, and the desire to watch movies that are not grunt. <laughs> Can we all agree on that? Man, you are no fun. <laughs> 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 are you? I, you're probably not even going to give Tiny Tim a present this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give him a new crutch, a rubber crutch. <laughs> Hope he enjoys it. <laughs> Slide on the ice, you bastard. Well, <laughs> thank, thanks to everyone for listening. I am Rod Barnett. I'm John Hudson. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will uh, Merry Christmas you away now. I have no idea what that meant. And the reindeer you rode in on. I'm gonna lasso Santa Claus And I know just why Because I'm gonna pull, pull, pull On his beard Pull, pull And see if it 